This is episode number 141 with project leader at the Boston Consulting Group, Artem Vladimirov. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And today on the show, I have Artem Vladimirov coming back for the second time. So you may have heard Artem previously on episode number seven, where he was talking about his work at the Boston Consulting Group. And today we have him back. It's been one and a half years, and you will find out exactly how his career has progressed over these one and a half years. I find it's a very exciting way to learn about uh, people's careers when you first see them and that becomes or hear hear them on the podcast. That becomes like a checkpoint, um, and then you find out what happened one and a half years later. So it's pretty crazy. It was one on one of the very first episodes, episode number seven. If you haven't listened to it yet, highly recommend checking that out first and then continuing with this one. Um, if you want that experience of seeing how his career changed and progressed. And so in that time, Artem has had a promotion. He's moved into the space of uh, supply chain logistics, and he's had many, many more successes. So in this episode, we'll be talking predominantly about two things. We'll learn a lot about supply chain logistics and optimization of logistics and how data science can help there, how analytics, how Artem uses analytics to help um, his clients or BCG's clients optimize their logistics. And also we'll be talking about careers. So how Artem has structured his career from the very start, how he's made choices in his career, and what it feels like to be a consultant in the space of data science and advanced analytics. So in all in all, very exciting episode, lots of uh, valuable knowledge. So sit back and relax and off we go. Without further ado, I bring to you Artem Vladimirov, project leader at the Boston Consulting Group. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I've got a returning guest, my dear friend, Artem Vladimirov on the line. Artem, welcome back to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Kirill. I'm good, thanks. Um, it's a pleasure for me to be a guest again at your podcast. <laughs> so cool. I was just checking when uh, you were here last. It was like uh, the seventh episode. It was the very, very start of the podcast. So it's been a while. That was October 2016. So much has changed. Has a lot changed since then for you? Uh, yeah, quite a few things have changed, both professionally and personally, I guess. Awesome. Um, but then, yeah, so last time we met at your podcast was October 2016, so it's been a year and a half, and you, since that time, you've done like a hundred of other podcasts. <laughs> Are you doing them every day? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a once a week with a guest, once a week, a five-minute Friday episode, yeah, but... Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy, right? Like how time flies. Yeah, impressive, impressive. 
All right. Well, where are you calling in from today? I'm in Chicago these days. Chicago. All right. So if, for those of you who haven't, for our guests who haven't heard episode number seven, um, Artem is a consultant with BCG, the Boston Consulting Group, and he flies all over the world doing data science or data-driven projects. And um, can you share with us what are you doing in Boston, oh, with Chicago, what are you doing in Chicago today? Yeah, I'm, I have a project here in the U.S., um, in Chicago. It's about uh, trans- transforming client supply chain and particularly uh, using advanced analytics methods and techniques to drive value in the supply chain business. Okay, all right, cool. Well, I actually, before we dive into the project, I wanted to ask you, like, in one and a half years since you were here last time, what has changed in your life? You mentioned quite a few things have changed personally and professionally. Can you give us like a rundown? What's changed? Uh, yeah, from the professional perspective, I was promoted to a new role. Um, and if previously I was a consultant at BCG and I was doing lots of hands-on stuff uh, using advanced analytics, so things like optimizations, dynamic simulations, just spatial modeling. Um, now I'm a project leader and uh, I'm using all the experience and expertise that I've got in the past like five years or so when I was at Deloitte and at BCG to manage projects which relate to these areas. Mm, very cool, very cool. And yeah, you told me about that, but again, congratulations on behalf of our listeners. That's that's a really cool promotion. Thank really you. Cool step. All right, what else? Um, I started to travel more, I guess. Uh, even more. <laughs> yeah, even more. <laughs> Last time you were yeah. like you were like in six countries in one year just for work. Yeah, it, it's become like six countries in three months now. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Crazy. Um, yeah, and uh, like that has some implications on my personal life. And uh, so my spa, my beautiful spouse, is doing uh, her own project, uh, like doing like a web project so she can work remotely and we're trying to travel together as much as we can. So, so far while we're young, that works for both of us quite mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Nice. And no, no children yet. So you can, you can yeah. easily move around. Okay. All right. That's really cool. So uh, what kind of projects you were, is she working on? Uh, she's doing, so she's a specialist in real estate um, and she worked in real estate in Australia, like when we were in Brisbane and in Sydney. So she, now she develops like a training uh, website, uh, like a website for educational purposes and a guide for people who want to invest in Australian real estate. So like the way it started is just now that we have a bit of savings, we decided like we are trying to find ways how to invest this money. And one of the one of the things we are looking at is real estate. So we started to dig uh, deeper into it, and then it like it's apparently quite complex area, and like there are lots of things that as a novice you can't know about, and it's difficult to um, to understand them. Uh, and uh, that kind of got us that brought us to an idea to create this educational portal or website where we can share what we already know about investing in real estate to other people. Oh, okay. Okay. That's really cool. Well, um, good luck with that. And, you know, if, if anybody's ever interested, we'll definitely include the link to that on the show notes. Um, but let's move on to your new role. So you're you're now more of a managerial role in at BCG. What, what does that involve? What, what kind of um, projects do you manage? 
Yes, just to give you an idea, my current project involves um, four different work streams, all related to supply chain, but like one is inbound side, one is outbound side, another one is like warehouse management, and the final volume is more like strategic footprint optimization. So we have people who will who are like me in the past consultants working on that. From the analytics perspective, we have a classical BCG consultants working on it from like business and business processes perspective. And I'm managing four work streams, uh, looking after the analytics works to ensure that like what we do is fit for purpose, answers the client's questions, we are on track in terms of budget, in terms of progress, etc. Interesting. And so how many people, so you're managing this whole team, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, how big is this team? It's uh, like, I'm not managing the whole project team. There are uh, like three other project leaders and principals who, who manage their corresponding work streams. I manage four people currently across four different uh, streams. Okay. All right. And so... It's a, it's an analytics project, right? So you do analyze data in the process. I mean, the team yeah, analyzes. The big, big portion of that is analytics. Yes, that's right. Okay, and so um, what what kind of analytics is involved in supply chain? Like, without going into any details that you cannot disclose, like, I, I would be interested to learn, um, is it like arrival, departure time, or is it is it, um, you know, routes and stuff like that? What, what is analytics in the space of logistics? Yeah, so it's a very interesting topic for me, uh, supply chain and logistics. And like, there are lots of stuff you can do in supply chain with advanced analytics. And uh, many companies that we saw so far kind of lag, uh, lag these capabilities. And that's where we bring our expertise. So uh, specifically for outbound logistics, for instance, that's when you deliver your products from a factory or from your warehouses to a customer. So what we can do, we can do things like routing optimization, like to design routes that your trucks take more optimally so that you minimize your driving distance mm -hmm. and therefore you minimize your transportation costs and deliver on time as well. So you can take different constraints into account. So things like what time do you need to deliver this by for this particular client? What day do you need to deliver this on for this particular client, etc. And then you use mathematical optimization techniques to design like the best routes that you possibly can in order to minimize this uh, distance and the cost. Mm -hmm. So that's just one example. You can do the same thing for inbound as well. So inbound logistics is when you deliver materials from vendors or from suppliers to your factories or to your distribution centers. Mm -hmm. So you can do routing optimization. You can also do uh, like some advanced analytics regarding simulations and like wargaming exercises to understand, let's say, what's the uh, like what's what are the trade-offs between owning your own fleet versus outsourcing transportation to 3PLs. So 3PLs is a third-party logistics provider. Mm -hmm. So in theory, 3PLs should be cheaper than um, than owning your own fleet just because that's what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what they specialize in. They have, uh, let's say, a scale curve on their side. But on the other hand side, what happens here in the U.S. at the moment is that the freight market is very tight. So there is lots of demand for transportation, but supply is at the capacity pretty much. And uh, carriers, 3PL carriers, often reject capacity to 
um, to to their customers just because they can earn more money sending a truck um, to do like a delivery on the spot market. And then what happens is that uh, when a, our client has rejection in terms of capacity, then they have to go to the spot market themselves and pay a higher price for an urgent delivery mm-hmm. just because uh, they don't want to compromise service levels as well for their customers. So they have to pay more uh, and then brings uh, like then I did this idea of a trade-off. So like on the one hand side, if you own your own trucks, it's more expensive for you from the cost perspective, but at the same time, it gives you a bit of less exposure to this uh, volatility in terms of like spot market versus contract. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, I see. So it's, it's a very interesting problem. Yeah, but like I thought, I thought if if a client wants to have like a certain capacity, they just sign a contract, and then the three PL uh, provider has to um, has to deliver that capacity like how can they just apparently yeah apparently they they don't have to Mm. so they just sign the contract which specifies yeah so these are our standard deliveries let's say on monday uh like we pick it up uh, from you at like 9 a.m etc um and you should bring it to our warehouse or distribution center by 5 p.m but then what happens like they don't have penalties if the carrier doesn't provide capacity and that kind of incentivizes carriers to to do so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Okay, um, so that's a that's a classic uh, like logistics issue right now that you're facing. Is that right? Yes. Um, yeah. And there are also other things we are looking at, uh, particularly how to better schedule labor at your warehouses, like which consists of some machine learning exercise or how you can better predict the volume that's coming into your warehouse and coming out out of your warehouse at each particular day, given what you already know, like on the historical demand um, and what you, like the new information that you get on an hourly basis, like in terms of, let's say, new orders coming from customers. Mm -hmm. And that will help uh, our, our client to better schedule uh, how many people they should have at, at the warehouses on each particular day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also use analytics to identify what's optimal level of inventory should be like um, at your warehouses as well, so that you don't have too much inventory because that's your uh, working capital costs. Um, so the money which you could have spent somewhere else, but at the same time you don't want to have too few like too few inventory just because uh, you can compromise on the service levels. So if you get an order unexpectedly from a customer and this customer expects it to be delivered in one or two days and you don't have this uh, this stuff at your warehouse, then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. As you mentioned that you've been to like lots of countries already in the past three months of this year. Um, are logistics problems different in different regions or is it always pretty much the same thing? Conceptually, it's very similar, but then the nuances and the details are always different. And because you have different industries which operate in, in a different way, uh, you like even in for different clients within the same industry, things can be different. Things can be different within different geographies. So for instance, uh, when I had a project uh, like a logistics or supply chain based project in India. So they have a very interesting tax regime when apparently if you if you are sending out uh, a stuff, your stuff from a warehouse which is located in one state 
and your customer is located in another state, you have to pay some kind of a tax. And that impacts the way how you would locate your warehouses. Mm. Oh, okay. So it's not just about, um, so the problems you address are not just about um, dealing with existing infrastructure and optimizing transport routes. It's also about placing the infrastructure, like warehouses. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So like we are solving the problems on a broad spectrum of like decision making horizon, starting from like operational decision making, which is like what are the actual routes that you have to have on a day to day basis, like to more tactical things like uh, yeah, what your inventory should be like on a month to month basis or what your production plan should be like, for instance, to more strategic level decisions. So which is like, let's say, two to five years time horizon which is uh, where should you place your warehouses or DCs or even factories if you are planning to build a new one in order to minimize this logistics costs and place it optimally. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that's really cool. And um, what, what are some of the industries that you worked with? Really curious about that. Um, mostly I work in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So I have... Uh, I have done lots of projects in steel manufacturing. I have done a few in plywood, um, energy as well. So there is also logistics involved in energy. Um, if let's say if a client is owning a distribution network and they have to repair it um, from time to time, and then uh, they have to have warehouses located at certain places which hold materials for the repairs and fixes. Um, so they also have uh, logistics and logistics problems as well. Um, distribution, so things like food distribution, for instance, when you deliver, when you purchase food from vendors, hold it at your DCs and then distribute this food to like restaurants, schools, hospitals, military bases, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some projects for financial institutions, for banks. Again, related to network mostly, so identifying best locations for branches. But I think I actually talked about yeah. this in our last podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, interesting. And so I, I actually heard this about New York City that it's so busy, like the traffic is so bad there that uh, the delivery of products for restaurants can only happen like in after midnight, like in the deeper night. And so restaurants are actually open all the time because at night, you know, during the day they're working, at night they're accepting these you know, new products and stuff. Like, have you heard of any other crazy stories like that? Oh, no, that sounds about right to me, yeah. And another thing is that uh, sometimes they don't deliver on, uh, on the weekend. So like, you don't have deliveries on Wednesday and, oh, sorry, on, on Saturdays and Sundays. But then the thing is for restaurants, this is the busiest days and uh, you would have like lots of deliveries on Friday scheduled for Friday, which impacts your warehouse operations and your transportation. And then you will have lots of deliveries on Monday as well because they are now empty. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's I gotcha. Um, and another thing I'm interested in is uh, like, the optimization processes, like let's say I'm an owner or a CEO of a company. Let's say there's a, there's a CEO of a um, manufacturing company or a restaurant listening to this or a director or an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, like they've set the processes up, things are getting delivered and so on. It's kind of working. What is the benefit of optimizing logistics? Like 
from like as a rule of thumb, what what would you say you like a by doing logistics optimization? What kind of cost savings do you normally deliver, or are you like aiming to deliver on a project? Again, if you can share that information. Yeah, so I guess the benchmark roughly is like 10-15% cost savings on logistics and very often like for largest companies we see that logistics constitutes a very large bucket of their costs. Like depending on a client, logistics can be like $500 million per annum. Mm -hmm. If you save 10% on that, that's already $50 million uh, savings potential, uh, which like, which is a lot more than our fees, for instance. Mm -hmm. And that's um, per year, right? That's not just Yeah, that's per annum, that's right. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, so like cost savings is the largest lever that we are pulling. And another one is possibly increased customer service levels. If, you, if you're not operating optimally now, and let's say, uh, and that, like that's what we saw in particular for one of the clients that we had, um, that they, didn't deliver on time often and they suffered low service levels and that was very important as well because it was a utility company the one that repaired the network and if you don't repair a network in time if you don't deliver repair materials uh, to your work sites on time then a bunch of people will be without power for a day or so um, so that's kind of a very important was very important for them and that's another thing we looked at uh, so how much inventory they should have in order not to compromise your inventory service levels, which resulted in a bit higher cost for them, but at the trade-off of the high service levels. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, gotcha. And so you, do you often come across companies that haven't uh, done a logistics optimization or is it just a, a matter of you need to re-optimize logistics occasionally because you know cities grow and things change? It's a bit of both. Uh, what we see a lot is that uh, companies usually do the way they did it like 10 years ago and they're very conservative to changes so they're not keen to change anything and uh, most of the planning uh, is done like manually which is very suboptimal especially if like it involves complex decision making and like trading off between very complex constraints um, and yeah you can benefit a lot from using this new technology that's like optimization, for instance, mathematical optimization. It has improved so much in the last 10 years, just in terms of, not in, even in terms of like computing power, but it, like in terms of efficiency of algorithms. And you can do things that you couldn't do uh, like 10 years before, especially in terms of like routing optimization, for instance. So now routing optimization has become so advanced that you can literally like create your routes, like even real time if you want to. So like big, big giants like UPS, for instance, or DHL, they have developed their own in-house optimization engines, which, and like they can have, they can have a look at their trucks real time. They know exactly where they are located. They can change their routes real time, depending on the new order. So it's very advanced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. You think, you think that DHL have to be on top of these things, right? It's very competitive. Yes. Yeah, and they are. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they're, they're not our client, by the way, for the disclaimer. <laughs> as, far, as far as I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, then, then tell us about the tools that you use. Like what kind of, uh, I don't know, algorithms. You mentioned some mathematical optimization. What tools do you use for uh, logistic optimiza uh, log optimization of logistics? 
Yeah, just I guess uh, I'll try to talk broadly about mathematical optimizations. So we use similar technology for like not just for logistics optimization, but for things like production planning optimization. What's the best production plan that you have or what's the best uh, sales and operations plan? So we use a broad range of tools starting from like very general purpose packages, uh, things like Cplex uh, engines or Gurobi engines in Python or in uh, what else can be on or in MATLAB, for instance. So you can use these tools to pretty much formulate any problem that you like. You can create generic constraints, like very customized solutions. Um, and that works for us very well because we work across different clients, different industries, and very often we need a customized solution. Uh, but it comes at the expense that you need to develop this from scratch and it often takes a lot more time. Um, there are also, like on the other spectrum of that, you can use uh, off-the-shelf products, particularly we're using Llamasoft for supply chain optimization. So this is a tool that already has like modules embedded into it, which allow you to kind of put in the data, uh, set up some constraints that they already have embedded in the software, so you don't need to build them from scratch and optimize your network, for instance. Um, it's very, it's relatively easy to use, so it's much faster to use as well, but it comes at the expense of uh, you can't build your own customized constraints or business rules if you want to. Mm -hmm. um, so like there is a bit of a trade-off and there are some tools again in like in between the spectrum. So we particularly use AIMS for instance. So that's a tool like that's not like a low level coding tool like Python or MATLAB. Uh, like it already has a, like a platform um, with, which has, which makes things a bit easier for you, but it's relatively flexible and you can customize a solution and you can build your own constraints into the problem. Um, so, and that's a trade-off we often make. So with the start of which project we need to decide which tool we're using, depending on like what we think the problem is, uh, how feasible it is, like how customized we need it to be. Um, so that's, that's an important decision we need to make. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, yeah, no, that's pretty cool. So you, at the start, you decide which tool. Out of the ones you mentioned, the only ones familiar to me would be Python. So <laughs> a bit of, uh, there's, there's a bit of uh, light there, like light at the end of the tunnel for those uh, data scientists who are not familiar with logistic uh, optimization. Um, you, you know, if you know Python or if you're learning Python, then there's some opportunity there, I guess. Um, and what about data preparation? Do you use any special tools for data preparation, or how does it go down? It's like, is it a big, big thing in um, in this uh, in this domain as well? Um, it's more about, I guess, for us, it's less about data preparation per se. So, we, like, of course, we do data preparation to kind of have the data in the right format for our models. Um, we use like either Alteryx or SQL or sometimes even Python for that, um, for the data preparation step, but it's not like a big thing in logistics. Like the, like it's not like customer data that you can have for like banks or for, for customer companies uh, with like billions mm. of records. They do have like, they do have large data sets in, especially in terms of shipments, but uh, like that's probably about it. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, 
All right. Well, that's that's interesting. Is there anything else exciting that you can tell us about the supply chain before we move on to some other topics? Oh, let me think. Probably nothing that jumps uh, straight out of my head. It's a very interesting topic. It's a very broad topic as well. Like you can do lots of things in supply chain. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> but I don't have anything like very specific to say. All right. Okay. Well, then I wanted to ask you like more about the career direction because this is a careers podcast and it like it's designed to help people understand where they want to guide their careers and get like a feel for different areas of data science and data related um, professions. So what, like, how did you choose to guide your career into supply chain? Because, you know, like when you joined Boston Consulting Group, like, did you join specifically for supply chain or is it something that you identified for yourself over time? Yeah, it's probably the latter. So I joined more like an expert in just spatial modeling um, and simulations. And then when I started uh, doing projects in different areas I, and in different industries, I realized I like more uh, working in industries which have some kind of uh, substance behind. So like something material, so like manufacturing. Uh, it's like you have a plant, you produce stuff, you move the stuff around using trucks or rail or whatever. So uh, like for me, it's just very interesting to work on these types of projects. And um, after a year or so, I started to specialize in supply chain. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, so you, you started to specialize supply chain. What did you do? Like, how did you go about it? Did you, did you tell your manager that you want to do more supply chain or did it just happen naturally? Did you pick the projects? Like, how does somebody take control of their career and decide in which way to, uh, to direct it? Yeah, you absolutely should, uh, should have, uh, you should take control over your career. And like, for instance, in my case, I said to my team managers and my team leadership, look, this is what's interesting to me. This is what I would like to do. Of course, there is a trade-off between, like if you have, if you don't have any other projects and you have a project for, let's say, a financial institution, which in particular is not my area of interest, uh, but then there is not, nothing else on the plate, then of course I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And then if there are like a couple of projects uh, in pipeline, then I have uh, this flexibility to choose the one that suits my career development interests. Um, so, and that's why I like working in PCGs. They kind of make it uh, more flexible for you. So you can work on projects that work for you from the developmental perspective as well. Okay. And, and so how did your team leaders take, take your uh, you know, request that you would like to work more on these type of projects? Oh, uh, look, the market is so like the market for advanced analytics is very tight as well, similarly to the freight market in the US. So there is lots of demand for the work that we do. And honestly, we just like we are tight on capacity. So, like we are hiring more and more people, but like the demand is so high that we are always stuffed on projects. So like I always have like several projects that I can work on at any particular time. So it's uh, my team leadership was very, very uh, understanding and very keen to help me uh, work on the projects that I like. So they were very supportive of that. Okay, that's really cool. And um, so you mentioned, could you, could you repeat again, like why exactly do you like logistics optimization? What is your favorite part about this domain? 
it's uh, about making a feasible like a change that you can actually observe so let's say you optimize your warehouse locations so um, in three five times oh, sorry in, in three five years so if the client takes this path then they will actually move the warehouses to new locations and they will observe uh, like some efficiencies out of that yeah. so you will see a warehouse in different locations you will see, see how things change in operations um, and that's what i like this substance right um, mm, if okay. you know yeah yeah i know what you mean so it's like observable uh, outcomes and but yeah the, exactly observable change observable outcomes not only in terms of like cost savings yeah or like increased customer service levels but also like things changing in real world okay all right cool but th it takes so much time like five years three to five years like it does that bother you that you know you won't see the changes for so long um like we Kind of yes and no. Um, so yeah, of course, it's a very long time horizon. But at the same time, we do lots of like more tactical and operational uh, projects, which the clients can start changing straight away. Um, and so, for example, in we did a project for for a steel manufacturer, and we did a like we optimized their production plan so that like on a day-to-day -day basis they actually have to decide which SKUs they need to produce and there are very complex operational rules regarding oh like this SKU can't go after this one and you have to have these SKUs at the end of the shift or rundown um, and so like there there were lots of these operational constraints and the way they were doing it before was like a bit more manual and we developed like a semi-automated tool for them, which involves uh, genetic algorithms and mathematical optimizations, so which helps them to make better schedules. And because they're using these schedules, like they actually generate the schedules each day, then we saw the like the difference that we make pretty much not from the day one, of course, but after we developed this tool, like the day one after we developed this tool, and that was pretty cool. Mm. Okay, wow, that's that's awesome, and the client was being happy as well about that. Yeah, and we saw so like after we piloted this new tool, we we actually saw the difference uh, in terms of uh, more rundowns that they can schedule, so they can actually they could schedule more stuff to be produced within the same time period. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, and so speaking of tools, you mentioned before that this industry is changing or has changed in the past couple of years because of the advanced computational power and advanced um, capa capability of the algorithms, the mathematical optimization algorithms. Do you see any new technologies that are out there disrupting this industry? You know, like we, we're talking about AI, deep learning, blockchain, machine learning, all these trendy words that are out there. Is, is, does anything, do you think anything will change this industry even further? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so artificial intelligence is a big thing now and you can use uh, artificial intelligence like to create um, more visibility in your supply chain to kind of predict orders uh, um, and like better make better planning. Then blockchain is becoming a big thing in supply chain as well. So uh we are currently exploring and have a few projects on how we can use blockchain in supply chains to increase uh visibility again of the supply chain so to understand where did this product come from uh and track it along the whole supply chain mm, that's really cool and 
Um, like I, I've also been looking into uh, blockchain applications and like one of the examples that I've heard in supply chain is, uh, for instance, coffee, right? Like coffee, how do you know when you go to a shop and it says like this coffee, coffee is from Ethiopia or somewhere. How do you know it's from Ethiopia and it's not from you know, your neighbor's backyard? And uh, that's where blockchain can come in and help uh, with the logistics because it is uh, it provides this facility to uh, hold these immutable certificates. So once the certificate is issued, nobody can tamper with it, nobody can change anything, and it really creates that traceability of where products are coming from. So is that is that about right? Like for blockchain? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right to me, and yeah, I think that's a good example. So, like, you can create unique signatures for your coffee boxes or whatever you use for trans for coffee transportation, and then you can use the blockchain technology to uh, to understand where this box was at, at like at each particular point of time, where did it come from, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, wow, that's that's really cool. It's really uh, in, in exciting to see that you know. Uh, big companies like BCG are jumping on top of these trends like you know that when they see the potential like in, in AI or blockchain and must be exciting exciting to work like uh, how, how are you feeling you know you've been with BCG what for like two years now three years three years three years that's really cool so how, how are you feeling about your career at BCG is it is it for people who are listening who are considering you know applying to BCG is it a good place to work oh yeah I love it um so they provide good career development opportunities, uh, very interesting projects, uh, uh, especially in our team. Uh, so we have a global team, which is called Kama, which specializes in advanced analytics. So in things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, advanced analytics for operations, for things like mathematical optimizations, etc. So when um, we do lots of projects overseas because we are the, we are a global team. So I get to travel a lot. Um, I, I really like it. Awesome. Awesome. And is it hard to get into BCG? Honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say out of 100 CVs uh, that, we, that, we, that we get, like we only shortlist probably like 10 and out of this 10 uh, that passed to an interview we only hire one probably. So mm-hmm. it's like one to a hundred chance. Uh, but anyway, feel, feel free and don't feel discouraged to apply um, if you think that's a place where you, work, where you want to work in. Yeah, and definitely if you do get the job then after this podcast, after hearing this podcast then uh, hit up Artem and say hi and you might catch up one day on your trips. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, speaking of like this uh, travel, worldwide travel, like are you not sick of it yet? Like, you know, three years, you've probably been to like 50 different countries. Um, like when does this stop? <laughs> you know? I don't know. How, how can you be sick of that? <laughs> you know, you're traveling in business class, like you stay at five-star hotels um, <laughs> and uh, like the company pays for your stays and it's like... That's awesome. Put, uh, yeah, how how can you not like it? Oh, okay. like, there are all there are of course other considerations like yeah family and like if, especially if you have children that's uh, that's gonna be very hard to travel and again the company is very 
supportive of different working models and like if you say i don't want to travel then uh, they will be supportive of that and they will try to put you on projects which don't involve travel mm -hmm. like so far i'm very flexible on travel and i'm actually like i like to choose projects which are overseas so mm -hmm. that works quite well for me and yeah so as i mentioned my spouse can work remotely so that works for both of us so I, I don't see an end to that yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, cool. And um, again, just jumping back into the topic of careers, can you give our listeners a an overview of what it what it's like to be in consulting? You know, like after three years at BCG, two years at Deloitte, that's five years total. Consulting, you know... Six, six years, Carol. Six, six years. <laughs> How do you get that? <laughs> three plus two. Yeah, it's uh, three years at Deloitte, three at BCG. Uh, three, three and three, okay. So... Mm -hmm. like consulting can be tough sometimes you know like looking back at my days at Deloitte you know you work long hours it's it's apart from, you know travel is, a, is great it's a benefit but there's also um, difficult times and like what is your overall recommendation for somebody who's considering you know to go into data science and start data science in the industry in an in a industry or start data science in consulting and they've never done consulting before what would your you know like rev insights be into this world of consulting and data science and analytics yeah and that's a good point that you brought up kirill uh look consult consulting world is tough and it's very challenging in terms of your yeah, working hours you always have to work on like new projects which is interesting for me but at the same time it can be very stressful sometimes because you work with new people and not just like new people from bcg but new people from the client side as well um you always have to pick up new knowledge on how the client operates as well. Timelines can be quite pressuring. Um, so it's actually, it's a very challenging and stressful job sometimes, and they don't want you to promise a la la land. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it turns out to be a very tough job for you. So yeah, look, it's very interesting and challenging at the same time for people who, who, did not do consulting before i guess it's also a trade-off between like do you want to try yourself in different industries and try yourself in different projects and then you can make up your mind what do you actually like because as i mentioned for instance in my particular case like i only started to work in supply chain like three years ago when i started to work at bcg like after that time like actually i love it and I didn't know I love it before I started to work on that. And if I if I moved to an industry, like I wouldn't have moved to to what I loved. Mm -hmm. um, so like consulting gives you an opportunity to work in these different areas and different industries and understand what's actually like where your heart is and what you like, what you don't like. Um, so that that was a big consideration for me as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, that's that's definitely a good point. And uh, like, I wanted to have a little flashback from our previous podcast where you mentioned that uh, you started out into the world of data science, into this world where you've now been six years and you're flying all over the world and doing amazing projects and helping businesses. You started out with no knowledge of data science whatsoever. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like you built it up by jumping into this world of data science consulting. Can you tell us, like, like refresh us on this story, especially for those who haven't heard podcast number seven or who have, for whom it's been a long time since then? 
Uh, yeah, for sure. So when I started at Deloitte, I like I had uh, no knowledge of any of the like machine learning tools or advanced analytics tools that I use now. Um, and like I was not a data scientist. I was more like a guy with economics and finance background. I was always looking for an employment like in valuation, uh, valuation consulting, so evaluate how much company costs or like in, in investment banking. And then thanks to Kirill, uh, <laughs> by chance I got into Deloitte data analytics team. Um, uh, so Kirill arranged. I just arranged the interview. You got in there and you know, <laughs> when you started talking, they like, they just, in fact, for those of you who don't know, uh, it was so like, they were so impressed with Artem. Uh, so Artem was like, a bit, uh, a bit upset about the whole, you know, job market in Brisbane, and he decided to go back to Russia. And then in the last, last day or like last week before he was going to fly back, uh, I, I um, arranged this interview with the partner at Deloitte. And so once Artem went in there, they were so impressed with, you know, your mind, the way you think, even though you didn't have any data science background, they're so impressed with that that even though Artem later got on the flight and went back to Russia, they paid for him to fly back and to join Deloitte. How crazy is that? Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. That was also a funny situation during my interview when Chris Noble, a partner in the analytics team, um, like asked me about my current situation and I had to tell him that I actually have a one-way ticket to Moscow <laughs> the, the next, literally the next day. <laughs> and uh, like honestly, I, I owe a lot to, to Chris who puts a lot of faith in me uh, like when he actually uh, offered me a job at Deloitte. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so when I started, I didn't have uh, knowledge on like on data science at all, so I had to pick it up on the job. And to be honest, when I started, I like when I looked at the SQL scripts and uh, <laughs> uh, like and stuff like that, I just thought it's not for me, and like I'm not gonna be there for more than two months, two or three months. But then I kind of like when I started to see the bigger picture, not just like this individual SQL scripts that I had to rerun or to change. Um, when I started to see the bigger picture, how it all fits into the big picture of a project, then I kind of started to like it. And I started to, like, I obviously started to learn the tools from day one. Um, but I also started to like it. So I started to pick up other tools as well. I started to do projects in different industries, pick up new tools, and that's where it got me six years after. Mm. And, and what I like about that story, what you mentioned here, is the learning component that you know you don't have to be a data science expert to be successful, but you should be good at learning. And listeners of this podcast, like uh, for as as I imagine, are excited about learning like you know you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you're exciting about excited about learning or you wouldn't be taking courses online um whether it's on udemy or super data science or other platforms if you're excited about learning so like in that sense consulting is a good platform to start as long as you're happy you know with the tough work sometimes stress and things like that but it's a good place to get started for people who are passionate about learning would you agree with that Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And they provide the the training, right? They provide the guidance, the mentoring, and they they want you to get up to speed with the tools really fast, with a broad range of tools. And uh, so, yeah, it's just up to you uh, from there on. 
Yeah, that's right. And like from the training perspective, like we at BCG, for instance, like we have lots of training programs starting from like web-based training, uh, training tutorials that we have on like different industries and like different methodologies, etc. And uh, I guess like when you just started, when you're junior, it's going to be training a bit more like on technical side, how to do this or that. And like then when you become more senior, it's going to be trainings more like on project management. How do you manage projects? How do you manage your client? How do you manage a team, etc. So for instance, I'm going to have a training in mid-April in Germany for a week. Uh, so like BCG invests lots of time and effort into like training their own people. Mm. Okay, that's that's really cool. And uh, what, what can you say about the transition from technical to management? Like, is that something you were excited about? Is that is that change something you wanted? What about people who want to just continue doing technical work and don't want to become managers? Uh, it's also possible. Yeah, you just need to flag it to your to your team leadership. But like, I don't see any problems with that, particularly in our team. So like, general at BCG, there is a rule which is called up or out mm-hmm. so like if you're if you're not promoted to a more senior role within a certain time period uh then they kind of kindly ask you to leave the company wow um, is that an actual <laughs> rule or is that just like just rumors no it is an actual rule and like it can be a bit less strict or more strict depending on the geography wow. so like i know in some countries where i had projects in it can actually be like they just don't wait for let's say two years, uh, which is like a standard promotion window. Uh, but they can ask you to leave like half a year after you started. Mm. Wow, that's crazy. I I've heard of that rule, but I thought it was kind of like a unspoken rumor type of thing. But yeah, wow, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah, this is this is actually this is an actual thing. So and uh, like I personally know lots of people who um, like who were advised to leave the company. So it actually happens. But in our team, uh, like we have a slightly different business model. So it's not up or out, it's before or out. So like, if you're happy to stay in the same role as you are now, and if you're performing, then they're happy to leave you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like up to, I don't know, like four, five, six years, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not performing, of course, then, then, yeah. Yeah, then we'll ask leave the company which makes sense right because it's yeah. um, so, yeah, so technical okay all right sounds good sounds good um i had an interesting question for you like uh, a bit of a like uh, out of the blue out of uh, different type of question to what we'll be discussing what do you think of autonomous vehicles? Like, how is that disrupting the supply chain industry? Like, because we hear a lot about self-driving cars, especially self-driving trucks. How they're going to displace drivers? Have you like uh, encountered any information on that? That um, how do you see this affecting the supply chain? Yeah, I'm um, like on a broad scale. I'm very excited about autonomous vehicles, and I think that's where the future is. And like I am personally, I'm very skeptical about all this news. Of, like you know, when you hear that like an autonomous vehicle car got into a crash, like I personally think if you like on a like you have to normalize everything, right? And like if you take on a per trip basis, the chance of a crash or a chance of an accident is much lower if it's controlled by by a robot, mm-hmm. or at least when the algorithms uh, improve. 
So I think that there is a huge potential in using autonomous vehicles for like even everyday use for like for personal cars, etc. Regarding supply chain, uh, it's also like there is also huge potential just because like on the one hand side, it's going to disrupt uh, like labor market a bit because you won't need as much drivers as you do need now to drive your trucks. And if you have autonomous trucks, companies can save on, on labor costs, uh, which are quite significant. But then at the same time, like lots of people will be without a job, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it has huge implications on the total market as well. And uh, look, this is partially the job of the government as well to make this transition smooth. Gotcha. But like in, in your... Uh, in your consulting work, it, it hasn't come up yet. You're not like advising clients to start using trucks and things like that. No, not not not, a, not to the best of my knowledge. I don't think it's like it's is advanced yet, so that you can just start using it right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll we'll guess we'll wait a couple of years and then things will change even more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hope for. Yeah, it's you know it's crazy, right? How things changing quickly. Okay. Well. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, we had, uh, I think, a good excursion into the world of supply chain, and I really appreciated your uh, viewpoints on careers. I think that'll help a lot of people, especially those who are considering consulting, and specifically maybe even BCG. So yeah, let's hope lots of people can uh, use this knowledge to guide their own careers from here. Yeah, and thanks, Kirill, for the time on your podcast. Um, it's really been a pleasure to be a guest. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming again and hope to catch up soon, mate. Likewise. So there you have it. That was my good friend Artem Vladimirov from the Boston Consulting Group coming on the show for the second time. I hope you enjoyed seeing how his career has progressed over the past one and a half years. Uh, It really puts into perspective what is possible and what can be achieved if you put your mind to it. Uh, he's gotten a promotion, now he's managing a team, he's doing lots of different exciting projects and most importantly he's moved his career into the direction that he wants it to go into. And personally for me that was probably the biggest takeaway from today, Artem's advice to take the career, your career into your own hands. And as he put it, you need to make sure that your manager or managers know what you want from your career. You need to make it very clear to them. If you're enjoying doing some certain type of work, especially if you're in the field of consulting where there's lots of different projects, lots of different tools you could be using. If you're enjoying some certain type of work, then make it known to your managers that this is what you want to pursue, this is where you want to develop your skills, and this is the direction in which you want your career to grow. And that is what he means by taking your career into your own hands because ultimately that's how you will achieve um, happiness and you will ultimately enjoy your work more and more. And it's, uh, it's something that we all want and sometimes we're a bit too passive about it. We think that that will happen on its own. Uh, a lot of the time we actually have to take these things into our own control. And Artem is a great example of somebody who's done that very successfully. And as usual, you can get the show notes for this episode at superdatascience or www.superdatascience.com slash 141. Uh, There you will also find the transcript for the episode and a URL to Artem's LinkedIn. Make sure to connect with Artem 
and say hi and follow his career further see what happens next uh, see how he's going to progress further and um, if you are in the BCG uh, in the Boston Consulting Group or if you get into Boston Consulting Group as a result of this episode then definitely hit Artem up and say uh, hello and uh, maybe you guys can share some experiences between each other and uh, he can uh, give you a bit of um, his own personal taste of what it's like to be in BCG. On that note, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and maybe got some extra insights about logistics, supply chain optimization and what it's like to be in the world of consulting. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>